Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. is the problem. You got all the questions? Yeah, they listen to me and let me hear what I'm saying, okay? I've never seen anything like this. Could cause uh, everybody to freak out. This is a new way, and it's a new day. It is broccoli in the microwave. Because consciousness is expanding. This is... It's when you guys are supposed to cheer. Please clap. Are you serious? Well, who wouldn't want an opportunity to talk to Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty? Well, uh, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty, who host the popular uh, radio talk show, ask the same question of their listeners, and here's their response. What about this Internet thing? Do you, do you know anything about that? I give you America itself. This is Ed McMahon. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I was just practicing my ooh something that I used to do when I started in radio when I was uh, 19 years old with my first full-time job. Do tell. My boss told me I needed to do that before I went on the air every day because my voice was so annoying and high-pitched. Yes. That I needed to go, every, I needed to go ooh-ah, 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 and go as low as I could every day to try to lengthen my vocal cords. So it's a I good would, idea. Oh, he said, nobody could listen to that rat-a-tat-tat-tat voice of yours. Ellen. Yeah, and he was point. right. Yes. Yeah, why'd you hire me? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because I would work for $600 a month and clean the toilets. That's why he hired me. Live from Studio C. D-Day, senor. A dimly lit room deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications Compound. And today, we're under the tutelage of our general manager. Those who fought, those who were wounded, who died in saving civilization. Americans, Canadians, Brits, on the shores of Normandy. 75 years ago today. I have crafted in my mind something I alone and uniquely can do. And that is a negative take. On the D-Day celebration. Oh, great, Scott, man. Something only I can do. I'm, I'm built to run the opposite direction. If everybody is running one way, I'm built to run the other way. That's wow. just the way I'm built. Wow. And Why? I think I have Why? a very... Why must you? I think I have a very good point to make about the D-Day coverage and, the, uh, and, the, uh, and everything. And I've been a D-Day cheerleader for years. The coverage. Uh, and attitudes and everything. Okay. All of it. The whole thing. I'll save that for later. Oh, boy. No, oh, you're going to agree with me. Oh, boy. I guarantee you're going to agree with me. Uh, rat-a-tat-tat. I can't even hear what you're saying <laughs> with that, with that voice <laughs> of yours. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, we've got a, a lot of really good D-Day stuff for you. Because it's, it's an amazing story. I mean, you just if you just if it's if it's just a story, you take even the importance out of it. Just this, it's just incredible, an incredible undertaking and accomplishment. Right, right, astounding. Um, the fact that it worked was it's just so against the odds. Yeah. Uh, for well, there was one big factor involved, and I hesitate to even bring it up because Jack will go berserk. But uh, D-Day pointing out, as so many things have, the failings of meteorologists. 
how, how bad they are predicting weather. <laughs> if meteorologists are in for a beating, that's fine with me. Um, I figured. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to get me to uh, to not join in on that. Um, but we uh, we've come up with a bunch of stuff for you. So here's one thing I'd like to throw out. That this this is from Stephen Ambrose's book D Day, which I always recommend. In one night, the world moved 175,000 men and their equipment, including 50,000 vehicles, from motorcycles to tanks to armored bulldozers across 60 to 100 miles of open water and landed on a hostile shore against a tense opposition. Rough chopping 175,000 people and all their equipment overnight. Right. It's just impossible logistically to pull that off. 5,300 ships, 11,000 airplanes. Right. It's hard to even imagine anything that big. <sighs> it's astounding. It was pointed out to me this morning that the a force the size of the entire force that invaded Iraq in 03... 130,000 men poured onto a couple of beaches side by side. Yeah, um, I don't know if this means anything to people if you haven't ever been, you know, but anyway. It's as if the cities of Green Bay, Racine, and Kenosha, Wisconsin were all picked up and moved. Every man, woman, and child, every automobile and truck, all their food and everything to the east side of Lake Michigan in one night. Which is logistically hard to imagine how you'd even pull it off. Wow. While a bunch of people are shooting at you. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. Anyway, a lot more on that later. Let's introduce everybody in the squad. We'll start over there with our board operator, Michelangelo. Pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. How are you this morning, Michael? Good. I guess I shouldn't have complained so much about me moving from house to house (laughs) over a period of a month. You should have hired Ike. (laughs) Um, I'm doing great. I'm really making um, a point to get good sleep. So I feel really good this morning. But I figured out I have to go to bed at about 8.30 at night or 8 o'clock, and it's just so early yeah. that I just can't get myself to do it. But when I do, it's good for me. It is tough. It's it's this, uh, well, we, we get up earlier than most people, so it's, it's more likely true. But it, it's difficult to get away from the I'm missing out on life feeling yeah. of going to bed early, even though you're killing yourself and you're miserable all the time. Well, that's why, I, uh, <laughs> that's why I've embraced the midday nap, although that's an imperfect solution because... You have to wake up twice with all of the groggy, pissed off, bad mood, you know, of getting up in the morning. I get up in the morning twice. <laughs> but does that way I could always, I, that way I had a relationship with my wife after the kids went to bed. Right. Yeah. I haven't taken a nap in many, many years, but I like to getting up twice. Twice you get to get up and have a little coffee. I think that's just fantastic. It's like a new day. Hey, it's a brand new day. Have a little coffee. What's been happening in the world? Take a look at the paper. It's fantastic. (laughs) You got a better attitude than me. So hopefully I'll be better and act better and be a better person overall. We hope so. There's positive Sean whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing very well. Just picturing uh, Michelangelo in one of those uh, old-timey sleeping masks. Sure. That's great. Um, (laughs) I, I, I think I failed to realize how big of a change actually getting a grill back into my life would be. All of a sudden, I I am just a, I'm a carnivorous meat hunter. The weekend approaches. I'm like, where are the sales on tri-tip? You know, I, well, I'm, I'm scouring it all. I've been uh, been getting a lot of working on that. I think I'm, I'm going to maybe even make it a weekly thing on my uh, the Positive Sean blog, what I grilled over the weekend as I people continue. Lo- people love that sort continue. of stuff. I just put up a picture of some of the ribs I made last weekend, and it was one of my most engaged tweets of the week. It was insane. It's oh, incredible. 
I, 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 I don't comment or look at other people's food that they eat but or think about it, but a lot of you do, and uh, you apparently enjoy it, and that's fine. Oh, I have grilling buddies who, who send me pictures of what they grilled up that night, and it's a motivator. You think, wow, that looks fantastic. i got to do something like that, and then hmm. you, you slap the meat on the grill. It's good. It's, it's, it's a support uh, group. It's it's a club. One of the best uh, ways to get good at it, Sean, is to share it with coworkers. Yes, it is. Bring it in, in the morning. Yeah. Um, there is Marshall Phillips, who does our news every day. How are you, Marshall? I got to tell you, where I live, it is suddenly summer. It has been very hot. And uh, yesterday, I got a notification from my utility company showing how much energy you use compared to your neighbors. Mm. And mine was pretty good, but they said, you know what you could do to really save money? Set your air conditioner so your home stays at 80. Yeah, there you go. That's so, a great idea. I did set it. Here's my so message at- to the energy company always. Mind your own effing business. I'll use however much I want, and then I'll pay for it. And if I can afford it, I'll do whatever I want. Shut the hell up. Bye now. Well, you know, you can also get better gas mileage by driving at 15 <laughs> miles per hour. How about you keep your house at 80? I'm going to continue to be comfortable. Bye now. Well, I got to tell you, I set it at 80 last night before I went to bed miserable oh yeah miserable i've always night. kept my house cold even when i was poor yeah well not when i was really poor and i was really poor we'd slept in our underwear on the couch with the doors open there you i go. did that for years there you go but once i could afford it the first <laughs> thing i afforded was air conditioner I, I still ate crappy food and wore crappy clothes and drove a crappy car but i had ac that was the luxury that came right. first right in my life right so anyway 80 is out the window but i tried i gave it a shot you know in the interests of uh, what reducing my uh, nah. global footprint. Who cares what they think? Yeah. Nah, what you got to do? You got to go around to your neighbors since they're just comparing you to your neighbors. You got to find right. something that just takes a really heavy draw and just plug it into all your neighbors' outlets <laughs> and just yes. run up their rates. And all of a sudden, you're the champion. They'll focus right. on the other. One. Right, right. <laughs> awesome. Best uh, offense uh, is a good defense. That's yes. right. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. On this, it is Thursday, June sixth. One of the most important dates in world history. The year. 2019. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. All right, then. Let's uh, invade your consciousness with uh, a view of the world, precisely according to FCC rules and regs, at Mark. As the years pass by, I can still recall the men I saw that day who died upon that blood-soaked sand where now sweet children play and those of you who were on lived in liberty Remember those who made it so on the shores of Normandy So how old is he with this giant hit song? That is 90-year-old World War II vet. 90 years old. I believe he was on one of the ships when he and he was 15 years old, the right. youngest one on record to be serving. Uh, 15. Yeah. Good God. That's incredible. Anyway, the song is Shores of Normandy. It's been number one on Amazon's singles chart for most of the week, ahead of Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber's new releases. And uh, we got the whole thing. We'll probably play more of it later. 15 years old. It's a reminder that, especially in Britain, which was facing an existential threat, as in they were about to be wiped off the map by the, the Nazis. Uh, yeah, the 15 year old, sure. You're fit. You're good. You can, uh, you know, follow directions. Get on this ship. We need you. Yeah. Uh, what are other headlines, Marshall Phillips? Well, D-Day, Trump, and other leaders honoring the fallen. We've got arrests of illegals at the border soaring. And amazing, 
Amazon's drone delivery fleet is ready to take off. Wow, I, I still don't understand how this is going to work, but I'll be interested to hear yep. that. How's mailbag look? Oh, it's it's very nice. It's a special D-Day inspired mailbag. And we've got some great guests today. Oh, we do. This is going to be a much better show than most. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope you can stick around. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So you got a lot of D-Day stuff, which is an interesting and, you know, a real conversation. Then you got the impeachment stuff, um, which is an annoying conversation on so many different levels. Apparently, according to Politico, Nancy Pelosi said behind closed doors to angry Democrats pushing her toward impeachment that she would like to see Trump in prison. So, <laughs> Really? You had the Speaker of the House behind closed doors, according to Politico, saying she'd like to see the president in prison. That's the kind of, that's the way we talk now. You know, I swear, the Iron Age, the the Stone Age, the the Bronze Age, the Space Age, the Computer Age, the Hyperbole Age. Historians will call this the Hyperbole Age. In in those times, nobody said what they meant. They said something outrageously exaggerated just to be heard. The Speaker of the House could say she'd like the president to be in prison and nobody would even really pay any attention. Exactly. People would just roll their eyes if they even could summon up that much reaction. Mailbag. You know, I should ask for some uh, some uh, good World War II music, Michael, instead of this. Well, this was probably recorded in 1944. This might be World War II music. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, our freedom-loving quotes of the day, uh, I've collected several having to do with D-Day. And heck, this might take the rest of the mailbag. I don't know. First of all, there are four perso- fewer than 4% of World War II vets still alive. Yeah, I remember... And that number is shrinking literally by the day. I remember there was a there was a time when we were losing 1,000 a month World War II vets. Yeah. And I thought, how could that possibly be? It's, it certainly can't keep up very long. Well, 16 million people served, which is a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's your first freedom-loving quote of the Americans, day. a lot more people around the world, but 16 sure. million Americans. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander. Here's an attitude to carry through your life, my friends. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. That is uh, the remarks he made uh, pre-invasion. I wonder what he put his chances at. I don't think I've ever come across that. I don't know I'd if he said that. To, I, I wonder if there's an interview with him somewhere about that. Do you, well, you see it as 50-50 or 60-40? There's, there's so much great stuff here. Here's uh, what the uh, what the paratroopers, the American paratroopers, would tell each other. Um, because, as you may know, tens of thousands of paratroopers were dropped behind enemy lines just before you know the invasion began. Uh Hitler made one big mistake when he built his Atlantic wall. He forgot to put a roof on it. No, you know. It's good stuff. Yes. Uh, FDR said this during the official announce uh, address announcing the invasion. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. You know, those of you who deal with America haters, particularly in your blue, blue states who get off, they get pride they get excited they think it makes them good people to hate their own country um just remember that they fought not for the lust of conquest but to end conquest 
this country is like a, a, a person. It has its sins, and it is working hard to atone for its sins. It is a great, great country, and don't let anybody tell you any differently. Well, that's where you get into the question of nationalism. A guy, a guy wrote a book about nationalism last year, and it won uh, some conservative book award. And I saw him giving a speech on book TV, and he was talking about this is why you need a certain amount of nationalism. So people have a feeling of um, if something happens to people, Americans on the other side of the country, it's like it happened to me. If they're attacked, I was attacked. Do we still have that? Are we losing that? Everybody would agree that we're losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, do it's we? Sti- how much yeah. do we still have that? How many people could you get together for a really dangerous mission that would feel like, yeah, I'm fighting for America, or are there enough people now that think, nah, I'm not part of that? Right. Adam King- Kinzinger, who's a, a Republican congressman from Illinois, I think he's a Republican, although I'm not even sure. I think he is. Um, he uh, he was being interviewed this morning about a number of different things, and then most of them idiotic on CNN. And then he was asked to, and if he had any thoughts on D-Day, because he's a member of, I think, the Air National Guard or Air Force Reserve or something like that, and he's actually uh, known real military service. And he said, look, when you're in combat or you're dealing with a mission, you don't care if the guy next to you is a Republican or a Democrat or Green Party or whatever. He's an American. He's got your back. That's the only thing that matters. And yeah, I'd love to see that. You know, uh, you know. Granted, our young people are being systematically indoctrinated, 180 degrees in the other direction by the sickos that run so many of our universities. But yeah, that spirit hasn't quite died yet. And then speaking of. Um, you know, the toughness that's required at times in, in our soft, soft society doesn't quite get. This is from uh, Colonel Charles D. Canham addressing his troops on Omaha Beach. They're murdering us here. Let's move inland and get her murdered. Sorry, I stumbled over it. I think that's how different is that? They're murdering us here. Let's move inland and get murdered. Got a job to do. I've got my negative take on D-Day coverage coming up. What are you, a Nazi? Which I think you'll agree with when you hear it. Stay tuned. Marshall's News next. Armstrong and Getty. Among things we have on this uh, 75th anniversary of D-Day, the best... Most accurate D-Day movies. Here's what three movies got right and wrong, although some of the wrong stuff is just stupid. Pretty nitpicky. Nitpicky stuff that how could you possibly care? That kind of tank wasn't actually built until... That's that's not the point. That's not the point. People that make those sort of arguments, yeah, good for you. You're, you're, you're into that sort of thing. Well, that's if you're not into the tanks. Point. That's not, they didn't make the movie to be completely accurate about that. Right. Anyway, let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump honoring the Allied troops who stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, on this, the 75th anniversary of D-Day. That invasion eventually leading to the Allied victory in World War II. 10,000 men shed their blood and thousands sacrificed their lives for their brothers, for their countries, and for the survival of liberty. Trump going on to add the GIs who boarded the landing craft that morning knew that they carried on their shoulders not just the pack of a soldier but the fate of the world. 
Second of two days of tributes marking the anniversary after the moving ceremonies yesterday across the English Channel in Portsmouth, which was the main launching point for the forces that landed on the beaches of Normandy. Churchill called it the most difficult and complicated operation ever to take place. It is, well, it is that for all of mankind. Um, did you see Trump being interviewed there in the uh, Churchill War Room? Have you ever visited that? It's in London, and they've still got it. It's, it's underground, and they kept it the same way as it was when they were uh, when they were operating right. World War II from up there. They've just put glass over all the rooms, but you can walk through the hallways and look at it. It's really interesting and that sort of stuff. But they had Trump put on Churchill's bowler hat, which oh, was boy. way too big for Whose him. idea was that? Isn't there a political rule? I thought I thought it was a political rule. Never put on a hat. Yeah. Never try on a, some sort of headgear right. in politics. Because he put on the hat and it's way too big and it pulls down over his ears. And it just, it, there was no upside to that photo shoot. <laughs> you know, I should, I should not uh, bring negativity to the proceedings on this hallowed day. But oh, I'm going to a little bit later. Fl- flipping around the channels this morning, the, uh, the NPRs and CNNs and MSNBCs of the world, although MSNBC is spending a fair amount of time on just honoring the veterans and talking about D-Day, because Joe Scarborough is really into it, but um, all the all the alphabet networks are trying desperately to come up with a controversy involving Trump. It's all about Trump, Trumpity Trump. Trump didn't mention the Allies as much as other presidents did, oh, Jim. Right. And right. I mean, it's right. just it's just astounding. That's that's got nothing to do with my controversy. Those people on. have rotten souls, <laughs> or just weird views of the world. I'll tell you that. Mexican and American officials are scrambling to stave off the threatened U.S. tariffs by President Trump before they go into effect on Monday. Now, the officials are saying we've made some progress in the White House talks, but Trump was tweeting from Ireland saying, quote, immigration discussions at the White House with representatives of Mexico have ended for the day. This was yesterday. Progress is being made, but not nearly enough. Border arrests for May are at 133,000 because of Mexico and the Democrats in Congress refusing to budge on immigration reform. And actually, it turns out the number was higher than that. Custom and Border Protection reported that there were 133 arrests in May, but the number surpassed 144,000 when you count migrants deemed inadmissible, more than a 30% increase from the prior month double the influx recorded at the beginning of the year. The most amazing part of this story to me is how it's not being looked at as a big deal by most people and most of the media. Well, again, to Trump derangement syndrome, I heard one left-wing commentator saying, all right, yes, everybody concedes that it's a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. Trying to make that... It's a legal crisis. It's a logistical crisis. It's a medical humanitarian crisis. It's a financial crisis. It's a it's a law crisis. It's all sorts of crisis. God, what, I tell you what, people are just so obsessed, right? Because if you made a partisanship, big, if you made a big deal out of it, the, I guess people feel like it'd be some concession that Trump mm-hmm. might have been right about immigration on some level, right? So we're going to continue to downplay this. Amazon says it's going to be delivering orders with drones within the next few months. The online retail giant making the announcement during a conference they had in Las Vegas. Amazon says 
the new drones are going to be more stable, efficient, and safer. Now, I'm assuming this is only in a couple of cities and even just a couple of neighborhoods. It can't be all over the country. No, they're planning to roll it out nationwide. What? Yeah. I, I, logistically, how is this working? How far are the drones going to fly? They can go 15 miles. It's a publicity stunt. I, You know, listen, and I prepare to be uh, exposed as the uh, crotchety guy who, who poo-poos everything new, if indeed that's true, but... The logistics of this are just too. There's too much risk. Right. All the all the stuff you order is not within 15 miles of you wherever you are in the country. So rolling it out nationwide doesn't make any sense They're on any level. Send a few around. They'll get enormous amounts oh, of yeah. publicity. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tremendous amount of coverage. I'm I'm saying that's what this is. Amazon says Prime Air drone delivery is going to be the next step in customer convenience. They're going to drive, they're going to take some vehicles, pick up your stuff at a warehouse, as they always do, drive within 10 miles of your house, then drone it from there as a photo op. Right. That's what's going to happen. Right. The Toronto Raptors down the Golden State Warriors 123-109 I think last we need to night. refer to the team from the Northern California Bay Area region as the remaining Golden That's State Warriors. It's, it's not a lot of fun to watch. I mean, what's what's the point, really? It's Toronto versus Steph Curry <laughs> and the Golden and State bench. And some other people. Not fun to watch. Steph Curry tried to put the entire city in his backpack and carry him across the finish right. line, and they gave him nothing. They gave him nothing. nothing. Right. I was looking at the stat sheet because I couldn't watch again because I just thought, what's what's the point of this? But so what he scores almost 50, then you got yeah. 8, 6, 2, 2, 1. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just nothing. Shot. It's just nothing. But, you know, a lot of teams are like that. You take away three of their stars, and they're not very good. Right. Well, Steph Curry. I, I've never in. been a sports fan that like if if a team I'm rooting for is playing another team and their star goes down, that I'm all excited. I always think, okay, that's that's not very fun to beat them without their star. Right. I don't get near as much satisfaction right. out What's of it. What's the point? As you mentioned, Steph Curry, forty-seven points last night. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Squawky, I'll tell you this: that is the worst the reconstituted Warriors will play. As there, you know, anybody who's played basketball, and I didn't play a lot, but enough to know, teams take time to gel, and people have to understand their roles and, and get the nonverbal communication down and the rest of it. They were in that game, and that was the worst they will play. So, take heart, my friends. I don't know. Clay Thompson's got to come back. Take heart! Um, Drake, do anything fun? or <laughs> He trolled uh, Clay a little bit after the game. He... Put out Way to have a hurt leg! Was that his troll? No, it appeared to be some sort of a... <laughs> Your hamstring sucks! <laughs> you can't walk as well as you should! A candid photo of uh, Drake and some... Uh, or not Drake, but of Clay Thompson and some lovely ladies sim- seem- seeming to imply that after this loss that they're just going to go out and party anyways. Oh, One gotcha. of those sort of deals. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Drake supposedly was not courtside, but Jay-Z and Beyonce were. Awesome. Drake oh, yes. couldn't afford the tickets. <laughs> what was Beyonce wearing? Oh, a lavish outfit. Really <laughs> <laughs> a bored <laughs> look. Yeah. She's yeah, well, rather an attractive young lady. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so we got a 97-year-old that parachuted into Normandy uh, on this day 75 years ago. And did it just the other day. Did it again. Age 97. Absolutely amazing. Among other stories coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.
beautiful drive, beautiful jump, beautiful flight. Everything was perfect. I honor those who didn't come back, who were wounded, who walked away from it, who were deceased. Those are the guys who are the heroes. So that's 97-year-old Tom Rice of San Diego, who made his second jump into Normandy. Made his first jump 75 years ago today. Uh, landed outside a little Normandy town, the site of a key World War II battle. He was obviously uh, part of the D-Day invasion, and then he did it again the other day. He had more to say on that. Tom, a little quieter jump this time. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were shooting at me. This time they weren't shooting at me, which would be to a benefit. He's 97 years old. Anyway, he jumped with about 200 other parachutists who were, uh, you know, just honoring the, 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 the amazing feat that is everything that is D-Day on this side. World leaders are marking D-Day several ways this week. Um, as we've been uh, as we've been talking about and playing clips of, we're going to continue throughout the morning. We're going to talk to one of our favorite military strategists, Mike Lyons, a little later in the program about what D Day means and what, what it was like from a military side. Oh, I was going to mention that um, taking a look at movies, which D Day movies were the most accurate? Some of it gets into just minutia that's just uh, I don't care about accuracy. I'm, I'm more I into. D- the- I do care about accuracy. It's my hallmark. Uh, so I'm interested in these things sometimes. but The accuracy mildly. of people in that platoon wouldn't have had that pistol. See, I just don't care about that nah, sort of stuff. Nah, I want that's, the, that's the, extreme. the overall vibe of it sure. has got to be accurate. And and uh, historians and people were, that were there say the opening 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan is dead on exactly what it was like. Lots of people that were there say it was just amazing how well Spielberg got that right. And, you know, it's probably the most impactful 30 minutes of any movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And if you've never watched that, holy cow. It, it to is, give you an idea yeah. what, 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 what war is like, that, that, that scene has you know, been played out many times throughout human history in a variety of different ways, whether it was spears or bullets or whatever. Sure. And I've heard many veterans of D-Day say, yep, they got it right. But, uh, yeah. So here's, here's my, um, my negative uh, wet blanket thrown over today, which is something I uniquely do. Mm. Um, it it really bothers me. We were talking a little bit yesterday of why has this grown so much? The the attention to D Day has been growing over the years, not receding. A lot of your historical events, the further you get away from them, people start stop paying attention. You know, um, soldiers used to get together on the anniversary of Gettysburg, uh, uh, veterans on both sides, and kind of restage a reenactment and then shake hands. That went on for years until they got down to the last two people, mm-hmm. and it was a big day. I don't know the date of Gettysburg, do you? It's just disappeared into history. But D-Day is growing throughout time and getting more and more attention and more museums and more TV shows and more speeches from politicians and that sort of stuff. And I feel like there's a little bit, in the United States, I, I don't know what it is in the rest of the world, but in the United States, I feel like it's like hashtag activism, which we've talked about in the past, where people get all excited about a hashtag, like the hashtag, you know, bring back those girls when those girls got abducted by Boko Haram, and then nobody does anything else. Mm. You send around the hashtag, you all feel good about yourselves because you were active and whatever. And so I feel like that this is happening with Dita. It's an outlet for your patriotism and caring about the military adventures and that sort of stuff, and you put it all into the D-Day thing, and still nobody gives a crap that we've got soldiers fighting and dying right now in a whole bunch of countries around the world, and you can't get anybody to pay any attention. Four people get blown up, no news coverage, and if you put it in front of them, nobody wants to hear it. You can't get Congress 
to 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 do their constitutional duty and vote on whether or not we should be in these wars. Right. They've just all chickened out, Republicans and Democrats. I'm not going to vote because if it turns out to be a bad idea, somebody's going to hang that voter on my neck. So we're just going to let whoever's the president, Bush, Obama, Trump, whoever, send troops around to die. I'm not going to vote. Don't give me a whole bunch of oh, D-Day patriotism when you're unwilling to pay any attention to people who are doing exactly the same thing today. There are soldiers dying today who probably got inspired by watching Saving Private Ryan. They'd be the right age. Mm-hmm. They probably saw that and, you know, I want to fight for my country. They're doing the same thing and dying, and you don't even care. So how can you tell me it's so exciting and teary-eyed and moving to talk about D-Day and not pay attention to actual young people who are fighting today? Or Congress, how can you give speeches and you won't even get involved in whether or not we should be sending soldiers anywhere? Well, you were right. I do agree with you. It It is remarkable the bipartisanship of cowardice that Republicans and Democrats, no matter who's in the Oval Office, say, you figure it out. I don't want my name attached to any big decisions. It is. It's remarkable. And obviously it doesn't take anything away from the amazing mm-hmm. historical significance no, or the importance or the of the other. people who did it. Of course not. But how in the hell do we pay so much attention? And, 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 and Because Trump it's and without the... cost. It's without risk. Right. It's that's, easy. That's why it's hashtag and, and activism. Not, and again, not to say it's wrong. And we're glad you care and are respectful and, and paying attention to that sort of thing. That's a good thing. But not if it's a substitute for other things. That whole hashtag activism thing is a real problem. Oh, it is. People have an outlet for caring about things. T-shirts, hashtags, marches, whatever, but aren't willing to actually get involved or give a crap. Well, it's a steam release, but it, the steam vanishes. It's not, it's not a steam engine. It's just a release. And you're right. I, I would like to meet the first person who wrote on that or, or thought of that and, and shake their hand because it's an excellent point. Yeah, I, I I really appreciate. I don't. There, there are some people that do this. I only see it on George Stephanopoulos's ABC this week. End of the show every week, and certainly at the end of the month, he says, "And uh, in honor of the soldiers that died fighting for our country." And there's regularly a couple of names per week, or at the end of the month, there'll be a handful. And I'll look at them, and there's a, there's a 21-year-old from some small town in Oklahoma. There's a 40-year-old from some town in California who I'm sure has got a wife and kids. And they died, and nobody cares. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're trying to accomplish. Congress isn't talking about it. So I think about that when I hear about all this amazing stuff that happened on D-Day. Right. Okay, well said, well said. And I'll shut up about it for the rest of the show, because there is a lot of really cool, amazing stuff that happened on D-Day that I want to talk about. If I might address the uh, good folks in the audience, if you are sitting there, standing there, driving there, thinking, I'm not that, why don't you go to warriorfoundation.org today? Warriorfoundation.org. It's, uh, and it's not the other organization that sounds similar. These are people who right now are working like crazy to deal with the soldiers, sailors, marines, guardsmen who are fighting and and getting injured and their family sacrificing right now. WarriorFoundation.org. Uh, well, why don't we have that uh, under hot links at ArmstrongandGetty.com in case uh, you know you, your memory fails you. We'll have that uh, for you later. It's a uh, miraculous organization. Here is a, uh, a sort of a lighthearted note, but interesting note about D Day. Canadian observers on D-Day were amazed, and in the training leading up to it, were amazed by the British soldiers' expectation of regular tea and smoke breaks. Something that wasn't common for uh, Americans and Canadians and Australians. 
On D-Day itself, an astonishing number of soldiers who felt tired after wading ashore believed they had earned a rest simply for having survived the landing. I uh, say, sir, an I officer, hate to be troublesome, but uh, my watch tells me it is indeed time for morning tea. There was, <laughs> there was a feeling amongst many of the men that having landed, they'd achieved their ob- uh, object and there was time for a cigarette, even a brew up, a little tea, instead of getting on with the task of knocking out the enemy defenses. Um... They believe it had something to do with the changing of politics between World War One and World War Two, and more unionization and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it, and they it, were guaranteed a certain number of smoke breaks and tea breaks and that wow. sort of stuff in the British forces. Uh, even at that point? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm it, it, it's familiar at all with the history of World War Two. Britain was seriously in danger of being wiped from civilization. Yeah. And, and everybody knew it. <laughs> so that's one view. It also must be remembered, says uh, Rick Atkinson in his book about D-Day, almost, also must be remembered, that in 1944, Britain had been at war for nearly five years, so there was a considerable war weariness. And as the war end of the war came in sight, those men really wanted to survive. Mm. They did have a different psychological situation going on. Yes. Uh, yeah. Than, you know, for instance, a lot of American soldiers. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, knocking out the defenses inland, uh, do we have time for this? Barely. Um, the Allies had braced themselves for as many as 40,000 casualties on D-Day. There are actually far fewer. It was around 10,000, all told. Um, and indeed, even the American assault on Omaha Beach, which was the one featured in The Longest Day in Saving Private Ryan, for instance, the Allies lost only 842 dead, many, many more injured, and 842 on a single beach is a hell of a lot of guys. But you have to keep in mind that the the uh, amphibious assault was to soften the coastal defenses to advance into Normandy, and on both sides, as well as civilians, and some 15,000 French civilians were killed, the average daily casualty rate after the beaches for the next two and a half months was almost 7,000. 7,000 a day for two and a half months once they got past the beaches. Yeah, that's when the real dying started. Right. Uh, we've got a lot more on this. Our text line, by the way, 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty.